So how the information was delivered to the people in Morocco? How you got the footage from the from Abu Ghraib from the filmmakers? Yeah. Um, so basically, we would go there on a regular basis, sometimes together, sometimes one of us, um, and we would bring. Well, be, besides stuff for them, we would bring empty memory cards with us and we would get them uh, the, the cards that were with footage and we would sn sneak them out of the country. Obviously, it wasn't like something that we could declare so openly. And then on the other hand, we were working together with a Spanish uh, photojournalist who has been working on the subject for 10 years. From, he is from Malia. When, so we would go there maybe every two or three weeks and then in the weeks in between this guy would go up there and again uh, take memory cuts with him and take the others down and then that was a really beautiful and kind of surreal process where he then would upload uh, the footage and send it over the internet. Moritz is based in Berlin, I'm based in Copenhagen and we were obviously in our safe, nice, warm living rooms, right, uh, or in the office, and then these folders would slowly tickle in, and, and you would never know what, to, what you'd get. It, it's, it's a bit like a Christmas party. We remember when you were a small child and you had these packages, not knowing what was there, but full of expectations. And often discovering stuff that was really unsettling on, or, or, or totally beyond what we could have imagined. It was a really, really beautiful process. Maybe I could add also, we, in, during this process is also when we realized the strength which we found in Abu's material that we, we used to say between the two of us that we could start to smell the place again through Abu's material because having been there once it's a very intense place and then watching it even in Berlin or Copenhagen it was like boom, we were there again. Because it's a little bit hard in the film to grasp the passing of time which I think also perfectly reflects the mountain itself. So over how long was this film shot, so how many times did someone have to go up the mountain to get the footage? We, we shot over the course of four months. Abu himself lived on the mountain for a year and a half. So he had been there for just over a year when we arrived, which was really good for us because that meant he knew everything, he knew everybody, everybody knew him, there was a trust relationship. So he could film without people getting suspicious which is a real big thing on the, on the hill, as you probably saw in the traitor scene, right? Um, and also people were able to tell him, look, I don't want to be filmed, which is a big thing there, because that could create a lot of tensions. So, th and, and that was fine, obviously, if somebody didn't want to film, be filmed, he wasn't filmed, and, and it made it much easier for us in that sense. Are there any other questions in the room? Uh, I see next. Uh, How yeah? How did you get the security footage? How did you get the security footage? Yes. Um, we first found the footage um, when the, the shooting was finished from Abu's side. Um, we knew that there would be a gap in the material, which would be the fence itself, because it was an agreement between us, the three of us, that he should not film during the jumps. And Abu would say, you know, if I would have filmed there, I would probably be dead because I would have exposed myself too much with holding a camera. So we needed to find a way to fill this gap and uh, started to look on the internet for material and we found a lot of journalistic and activists videos who documented the, the, the brutality which happens actually at that fence, which you don't see in the film. 
But what also we found was the CCTV footage, the surveillance camera footage we thought, which has on one side we felt a quite str strong moment to it and uh, we th also think it's quite a violent image, a cold violent image by a camera and also it makes a great contrast to Abu's camera because Abu's point of view is uh, talking about individuals, talking about longing, talking about a future and whereas this cameras from the surveillance cameras is, is, is the cold um, image which reduces the people again to black or white dots and that kind of represented for us um, a bit also what Europe looks upon the situation which sees in this only a problem rather than uh, a future or a potential. And so we knew that the Spanish Guardia Civil had published that material in the past, it was not something that leaked out and we contacted them and they were uh, surprisingly quite open to, to provide us the material. So the, the footage that we see are the actual attempts to jump over the fence or are they just of different attempts? It's not the moment when you see at the end, for example, it's not Abu's, uh, it's not that one jump, it's a different jump, but obviously it's um, the reality of, of the place. Are there any more questions? All the way at the front. Did he meet up with his brother recently in Europe? Uh, did you or Abu since talk to his brother? Y yes, of course, uh, when Abu went over to mainland Spain, he went uh, went visit his brother in uh, Valencia, who was living at that time, and now the brother actually also came to Germany and is also in the process of asylum in, in Western Germany. Because his brother was originally as an illegal immigrant in Spain. Yeah, the funny thing is Abu says that briefly in the voiceover that he left, Abu left his uh, hometown and didn't say anybody from his family and he made his way and it was kind of a zigzag route which was uh, for several reasons, had to go back and forth and uh, when I think he uh, arrived in Algeria after crossing the Sahara, he bumped into his brother who also had left without saying anybody. So it was kind of a coincidence and then they had lived for a while in Algeria where they could find work and kind of fill up their travel purse and uh, then his brother one day would come to him and say look there's a possibility to get to Europe without crossing the sea which is there's the city and you just have to jump over a fence and I said okay well that sounds really good because we don't have to risk our lives uh, going over the sea and so they went to Morocco and saw the fence and they saw the camp and Abu described it very nicely because he said I saw this camp and I was like, what are these people doing here? There's just a fence, you just jump over, that's what your first reaction maybe is. And he went in the evening with his brother to try and jump over and they got horribly beaten up by the police and then he knew why it's not so easy. And in the end, for him it took one and a half years, whereas his brother, after three or four months, was lucky to make it over. Are there any more questions from the room? Uh, yes. So how much is Abu involved in the editing process, uh, process and also the voicing over? Yeah, so in mainly out of technical reasons, he was much more involved in the voiceover than in the editing itself. He, he obviously saw different cuts, but I mean, he lives in an asylum seeker's home with very bad internet, so it wasn't easy to, to do that collaboration as intensely as we would have loved. But yes, he, he saw it continuously. But with the voiceover, that was really a beautiful collaboration where we, we always intended not to um, include interviews. 
So we never interviewed him on the camp. And first, when he crossed over, we did the first long interview in Melilla, and then two more on his route, and that together with his diary that we, he was wrote, uh, writing, we started to identify themes. And then we started like a ping pong collaboration, mainly through WhatsApp, basically. Um, because it made it very independently uh, possible, it doesn't matter where he was, we could just send stuff. And then he would shorten the text, send them back to us, we would re-put um, them into little uh, blocks, send it back to him, back and forth, back and forth. Then he would start to record lines that he had already put into his words again, send ten versions over to Berlin, to Moritz, he would identify or choose three of those, send them over to me to Copenhagen. I would put them into the edit, send that back to him. And so it was great. It was really very much um, a, a collaboration between the three of us, but really based on all his, his own thoughts, feelings, and, and words. So we're always on a tight schedule. So there's room for about maybe two more questions. I see one. Yeah, all the way in the back. Yes. No, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> So how are Urban's chances of getting a, uh, like an actual permit and be able to live here or in Germany? Uh, not good, to put it shortly, unfortunately. Um, people in Germany who come from Mali, although it's a country with a war, and uh, there's a big number of German soldiers because of the war in Mali, uh, they are not considered as war refugee usually, and I think the chances on numbers is by 4%. So. We don't expect that the asylum case will work, so we will have to look into other options if there are. Yeah, so what happened? Well, they also mentioned the, the unnamed bodies. Yes. Uh, what happens to people who die at the fence? And yeah. So the first part of the question was how he died. So now what you see in the film is this three rows of fences, but actually on the Moroccan side, there is a, a ditch two meters deep, like uh, around a medieval castle. So the um, metaphor of the castle Europe is not that far <laughs> fetched. Um, and in this ditch there is barbed wire and it gets flooded. So this guy actually get tr got trapped in the barbed wire while crossing the ditch and drowned in there. I still get shivers so my body when I think about it because he's obviously not, not the only one. There are many people dying there. Um, Unfortunately, there are many unnamed ones, um, and th they refer to it in the film that that is one of their fears to die unidentified and their family not knowing what happened to them. And that's actually a very widespread reality. Yeah, yeah and maybe I, w I was just going to add to this. I mean, this there's kind of our involvement there. I will mention that we, we in the beginning. We, we didn't know, we were not looking actually, we have to say, in this process for a co-director when we started off the project. We started with somebody to, to film and we thought uh, to get somebody, would, we would also pay that person to film. And Abu mentions that in his voiceover, that we gave him money. And 
due to this money, they at that time would have money to buy a, a SIM card uh, with credit on it and make that phone call. So th there was a link here to the film process that they could call that because very often they wouldn't have enough credits to call back their families. Usually they are, I mean, they are in contact with their home countries and also over things like Facebook or something, they would contact, they would go to an internet cafe even sometimes and, and, and be in contact. And, but very often there's just no means to, to, to reach the families and, and then the person disappears. And um, as far as we know, they do get buried. Um, sometimes apparently they bury them themselves, but it's often they are taken by the police away because they don't want them as an evidence to to be there on the spot anymore, and then they're kind of anonymously buried uh, at the graveyard in the city of, of the Moroccan city. So what a heavy note to, to have to end this Q&A on. <laughs> uh, but I'm afraid we are running out of time. But luckily you have both have said that you'll be around the, the foyer, so if there is any other questions, uh, please please come and find them. Um, so I would just uh, like, for Itva, thank you very much for being here with this amazing film. I think. For me, like, because again, like you see these people as tiny dots, but now they have faces. So thank you very much for your film here. And thank you very much for being here. And I hope you see many more wonderful films. <laughs>